of Highland Park Evangelical Free Church. That's just up the road a little bit in Columbus, Nebraska. So let's welcome back Pastor Mike. Thank you. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? You awake? No, just dumb. Front row, huh? Trying to impress the pastor. <laughs> well, I'm thankful for the opportunity. I always love to come to Nebraska Christian. Uh, thankful to always connect with Gordon. And um, I always hear wonderful things about this ministry, about the education here, about uh, what this school is doing. And so it's always a thrill to, to hear about that, to have this connection and this opportunity to um, uh, speak to you this morning from God's Word. So turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be in our time. Uh, when Gordon uh, reached out to me a couple of months ago about what to preach on and what the series you guys were going um, exciting for me, uh, this was the first book I preached when uh, getting into full-time ministry after seminary. Uh, a wonderful book. There's many themes that are just very basic to Christianity. Uh, for some of you that uh, the Lord is new, the Bible is newer to you, or Christianity, the faith is newer to you. This is a wonderful book to study. Uh, you learn the gospel, both in terms of how it's the instruction given, but also what I love about Philippians is the characters that you're introduced to in this book, uh, the gospel is exemplified in those characters. And so that's something that I hope you'll see as uh, the other speakers come um, as you look at uh, this book the rest of the semester. Uh, you also see themes, and I, I trust you've seen some of these already, evangelism, uh, Christian service, uh, growth. Again, this book is sort of an instruction manual for uh, the basics of Christianity. Uh, I want to look today at something that is basic, but something that I think is often misunderstood, and that is the topic of joy, the topic of joy. In fact, if you want a title for this morning's message, it could be Joy in the Gospel or Gospel Joy, something like that. Because that's what I want to examine as we look at uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, uh, which is ac actually uh, a passage that we could, you could probably spend three or four different chapel messages on. Uh, it's uh, rich in theology. There's a lot here. Uh, maybe it's one of those passages that maybe for some of you, if you're familiar with Philippians at all, uh, you've heard it preached on before or you know this passage. But we're going to frame it this morning with this uh, topic of joy, which again is, is sometimes misunderstood. We think joy is happiness. Something makes you happy. It's emotional. Uh, but the problem with that is that's sort of up and down. It's, it's sort of a roller coaster. Uh, I think of uh, my kids love roller coasters. How many of you like roller coasters? How many of you can't stand roller coasters? Is there any of you? Okay. Some of the adults. There's no, there's no, there's no kids here. You're not going to admit it, are you? No students? My kids love roller coasters. We went to, uh, anybody been to Silver Dollar City out there? Yeah, it's a great theme park. My kids had a great time, and I'm trying to be the cool dad, get on the roller coaster, and I get off the roller coaster, and that was the first, that was the only try for the rest of the day. I, I'm done. I'm finished. I'll go get a churro or something. They love their roller coaster. But that, when you think of happiness, that's what I think of. It's a roller coaster. Sometimes your emotions are up, sometimes they're down. What, the circumstances of life, whether things are good, whether things are bad, it's all over the place. Joy is different because it's a divinely given satisfaction. 
It's an inner peace. It's more like if we were to contrast it with a roller coaster, it's more like a, a train on the Nebraska plain just going straight through. It's stable. It's consistent. And again, it's something that, while it's, it's not disconnected from emotion, again, it, there's an inner stability given to us by God. It's a, it's a virtue that not only is given to us by the Lord from the Spirit, but something that we're going to see today we must foster, we must aggressively pursue to grow in. And so we're going to look at that as it relates to the gospel. In fact, not only should we desire this joy, uh, but it's something that Paul, in fact, will command of those who know the Lord. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, the Word of God commands for you to be joyful. And so we will consider that from these 11 verses. So let me, let me read this passage. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, um, I'll begin reading in verse 1 and go down to verse 11, and we'll see uh, if we can cover it all this morning. So Philippians chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You guys have uh, likely know at this point in Philippians that Paul was writing from prison. Um, obviously that would be a circumstance that for most of us, if you were imprisoned, your life uh, was not going the way you want or what you thought. Uh, you're confined, obviously that would be, you'd be tempted to be discouraged, to complain, to maybe even say, you know, I give up. What is, is Jesus really worth this? What is surprising about the book of Philippians is that one of the themes of this book, not just this passage, is the theme of joy. That you have this guy in prison writing about rejoicing in his Savior, rejoicing in the Lord. And so, uh, that, again, is, is quite surprising to us when we come to a book like this, that this man under such circumstances would have such satisfaction, such peace from the Lord. Now, if you were to summarize these 11 verses, we could say it this way, joy comes from valuing Christ above all else. And I apologize, I don't have a PowerPoint this morning. Joy comes from valuing Christ above all else. Paul is writing to a church that was under attack from false teachers. They had teachers coming in saying, if you want to be saved, Jesus isn't enough. 
What you need to do is good works. So do a lot of good things, and sure, you can have Jesus. Then God will love you. Then God will show you favor. And Paul understands that for the church that was discouraged by this, that for them, this drained them of their joy. Paul writes to confirm them the true gospel. And so that's what we're going to see in this passage is the value of Christ, the value of the gospel, and how that brings lasting joy. So in order to grow in this virtue, to understand it this morning, let's just look at three points. We'll go through this text. Number one, I want us to remember the source of joy. And a lot of this, I think, is pretty obvious from reading through it, to remember the source of joy. The reality of looking at this inner satisfaction or this inner peace is that it's impossible to attain if you're looking in the wrong place. Now, that's pretty logical, right? Uh, I think, uh, you know, that, that game you used to play maybe when you were young, you know, something where you hide it, somebody hides something, and you go, you're hot, you're cold, you know, you're cold, cold, you go near, you're hotter, you're hotter. We're going to see from this passage that really anything away from Christ, it's cold, cold, cold. It will not provide biblical joy. It will not provide the satisfaction that God wants for us. And we are so prone to look at those things that are far away from Christ, aren't we? We seek happiness or we seek satisfaction. And you could think, maybe even personally, I would encourage you, think through the things that you look to for happiness, for satisfaction. Family, friends, grades, sports, future career, having a family, all, the, all that the future holds, all the expectations. While those things aren't bad in and of themselves, our problem as sinners is we look to those things and we think, if I can just have fill in the blank, better grades, be better at sports, if I could just have that, I'll be happy. And what's the reality? It fades away. And we're going to see that in this passage. Lasting joy is only found in Christ pursuing Him. He is the never-ending source of joy. We see this clearly. If you just and if you have that passage there on your in your Bible, just in one section there, mine is split between a couple of pages. I want you to note how often Paul references the Savior. When he speaks of joy and he speaks to, we'll say, the gospel, which is Jesus, he says, I rejoice in the Lord, verse 3, glory in Christ Jesus. You go down, verse 7, for the sake of Christ, verse 8, knowing Christ Jesus, verse 8, that I may gain Christ, verse 9, be found in Him, verse 9, faith in Christ, verse 10, that I may know Him, His resurrection, His suffering, like Him in His death. Who brings joy? Jesus does. And that's what Paul is pointing out here. It's all about Christ. It's all about the Savior. Now look just briefly at two verses. Verse 1, the command there. He says, be joyful or rejoice in the Lord. Again, that rejoicing cannot be outside of Christ. It's only in God, in who He is and what He's done. Notice verse 3 that Christians are those who glory in Christ Jesus. That is, Christians rely upon Jesus alone. They boast in Him, not in themselves. Boasting in Him brings joy. And so the question from this text is, well, what's the big deal about Jesus? And again, ask yourself that question this morning. What's the big deal? 
Why is Jesus the one who gives inner satisfaction? Why is he the one outside of all these other things that you could pursue as young people? Why is it Christ? And the answer to that, while it's all throughout this passage, is in verses 8 and 9. And these are wonderful. I think of the song that we just sang, where his blood speaks for us. That song was the sufficiency of Jesus, what, who he is and what he has done. Notice verses 8 and 9. Paul concluding, and, and we'll look back at sort of the argument in a second, but he says, in fact, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing, that's an intimate knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffer the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that Jesus alone brings us to God. The false teachers were saying, it's your works. Do better. Have accomplishments. And God will love you. And then you'll have true joy. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. There's only one way to God, the source of joy. And that is through his son. As sinners, we are separated from that divine joy. We are separated from a saving relationship with holy God, the creator of the world. And Paul says the only way is to be righteous in his sight. Well, how is that accomplished if we're sinners? Paul says through faith in the righteous one. And again, there's so much theology in verse 9, and we don't have time to, to break every phrase down there. But he's saying salvation is not in what I do, or what we do, do more good works, try harder. Salvation is through the one who was perfect. The one who went to the cross bearing our sin. The one who died and rose again. For the sinner who trusts in him, Jesus' righteousness is reckoned to their account. Now in the sight of God, they are righteous because they now have the righteousness of Christ through faith. That is so important as we look this morning. It is not a, joy does not come from doing good things to get God's attention. Joy does not come from you know, just trying really hard and God will see your effort and He'll love you more. We're sinners. That's who we are. True joy comes from trusting in Christ, who is our the sinner's righteousness. He is our salvation. Jesus is the source of joy. And so in this first point, I want you to remember that, students, this morning. When you look at your life and you look at, am I pursuing, what, what am I pursuing in terms of happiness, satisfaction? What are the goals of my life? It has to come back to Jesus Christ. It has to come back to the gospel. And so in terms of application of this first point, I would just ask you a couple of things here. Number one is, first off, do you know Jesus Christ in a saving way? I'm not talking about just facts. You guys are learning that in your churches or in your Bible classes here. You're learning about who Jesus is and what he did. But have you come to saving faith in Christ? Where you can speak personally like Paul and say, this is my Savior. He is my righteousness, not just this well, this gospel out there. Do you know Christ? Do you know that joy? If you don't this morning, I pray, and I know your teachers, the faculty here are praying for you that you would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Secondly, is do you rehearse the gospel in your life on a daily basis? Do you, do you think back to Jesus Christ? We're going to see in a, in a few moments how Paul, in this passage, doesn't just sit with, well, I got saved years ago and that was enough. He's going to constantly be looking back to Christ, valuing Christ. And that's what I would start out here with in this first point is the reminder that it's often said, learn to preach the gospel to yourself. This is something that we could so easily miss as Christians. If you know Jesus this morning, we falter by seeking satisfaction in other things when we forget the gospel. Circumstances put us on that roller coaster. Our own sin puts us on that roller coaster. The world, you know, you, you, you listen to the media, you know what's going on in the world. It gets us discouraged and struggling, and we go up and down. Where, where's our stability? Where's our anchor? The gospel. When you go to the gospel, you're reminded of what Christ has done. When you go back to the gospel, verses 8 and 9, when you go back to what Christ has done, you're reminded you're a child of God. You're reminded that there's forgiveness in Him. You're reminded that God has given you all the resources you need to grow. So I would urge you this morning to practice preaching the gospel to yourself. Who am I? What do I believe? What do I know? What is true? You need that. I need that. We need that if you know the Lord. Number two, as we go through this passage, recognize the threats to joy. So we see the need to remember the source, and now I would just say we need to recognize the threats. What are those things that are a threat to the joy, that satisfaction, that inner peace? As I said, these false teachers were preaching a different gospel that was Again, making things chaotic for the church at Philippi. They were struggling. They were drained of joy. I mean, imagine here if, uh, you know, some of you have been at Nebraska Christian maybe for a while and you have learned about the Christian faith, you've learned about these things at your church. Imagine if somebody came in and said, everything you've learned is wrong. It's not all about Jesus. In fact, what you need to do is be a better person. Do more good works. Go to church more, go through uh, these religious rituals more, and then God will love you. That's what these false teachers were basically doing. They were saying, go back to the Old Testament law, do the law. Jesus is fine too, so law plus Jesus equals salvation. Do you see the difference there with what Paul had just stated? He said it's reliance upon Christ alone. These teachers came in and said, no, 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 that's not right. Do good works, Jesus is fine, then you'll be loved by God. You know how hard that is? Because you'll never attain perfection. That is a recipe for disaster. It drains someone of joy. And, and Paul, in, in very strong language in verse 2 and 3, addresses this teaching and these teachers. He sees them as a threat, and so he warns the church that he loved. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Basically, the false teachers were saying, we're the true believers. Paul says, these are evil unbelievers, with the language he's using here. He says, they are just going through these religious rituals, radical rituals, trying to impress God. And Paul says, no. He says, no, it's... True believers understand because they have the Spirit of God dwelling in them that you glory in 
the gospel in Jesus Christ alone. Now, we might look at this and go, well, this is a bit removed. I mean, you probably didn't wake up this morning going, man, there's some false teachers out there trying to get me. Uh, sometimes when we read our Bibles, we put it in this context and we think, What's, uh, how does this relate? And I, I would just argue this morning that we are not that far removed from what's going on. Not only is there constant attacks upon the gospel, but I can even speak personally from when I was your age in high school about some of the greatest spiritual struggles for me that I went through, and that was this very thing of, is Jesus really enough? Some of my discouragement when I was in high school, and you're, you're dealing with all the stuff that you deal with as high schoolers, as young people, popularity and accomplishments, and again, all those things earlier, you know, struggles with friends, struggles with uh, family, all the struggles you face, face plus you're going, does, does God really love me when I have a bad day? Does God love me when I sin and I know I sin? Does God love me when I don't do what I'm supposed to do, when I do what I'm not supposed to do? And that was the struggle. It's this up and down, trying to do better. If I go to church more, if I do more good things, that's exactly what Paul was confronting here. Because in that struggle, you are struggling with asking the question, is Jesus enough? Is his life, his death, his resurrection, his person, his work, is it enough or do you need your good works to add to it so that God loves you? And again, we've already answered that question. Jesus is enough. Jesus is our satisfaction. Jesus is the one who gives you joy. It's not up to you and trying to impress God. And that's, that's what Paul's addressing here. In fact, you know it, and we don't have time to get into all the details of it, but note verses uh, 4 through 7. Paul basically gives this testimony of here's who I was uh, before Christ. And basically what he's saying is, I once lived a life where I thought I could attain good standing with the Lord by what I did. It was by my privileges and by my attainments, by what I could do. And so he says, I was a good Jew. I was a good Hebrew. I was a, a Pharisee. I knew the law. I was blameless in regards to the law. At least he thought so. He said, in fact, I had so much zeal, I went after the church because I thought this was the, the wrong faith. I thought that Jesus was going against true faith. And Paul thought all these things was what made God love him. Paul thought he was spiritually rich. And then if you remember, if you remember the testimony of Paul, he's on the road, and guess what happened? Jesus appeared to him, Paul got saved, and at that moment, Paul realized that everything he thought was riches, he realized he was bankrupt. Spiritually, he had nothing. In the eyes of his contemporaries, his friends, his peers, Paul was everything. This is the most spiritual, godly guy they knew, and he suddenly realized he had nothing. And that's when he realized Christ was everything. That's what he says there, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, all, 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 my, all my background, I was from the tribe of Benjamin, I was to the law of Pharisee, I had zeal, I had righteousness in the law, I was blameless. I counted those things as loss. I was bankrupt. I had nothing. Paul is saying he finally realized that true joy, that salvation was in Christ alone. 
Why does he give this testimony here to warn us as readers? To not go back there. In our, in our lives, as if you know the Lord Jesus Christ students this morning, to not go back to, well, was I good enough today? Does God love me more? Do you understand that if you're in Christ, God loves you as much as he loves his own son? You're a child of God. Nothing changes that. I think practically, as you consider this this morning, when you have those days where you're discouraged, where you're struggling for joy, ask yourself, why, why am I discouraged this morning? Try to identify the threat. Identify the thing that is draining that joy. What are you looking to for satisfaction that's outside of Jesus Christ? I think if you can identify that, then go back to point one. Remember the gospel. Remember why Christ is so valuable. Thirdly and lastly, and I can't remember what time do I need to go to here. Five more minutes? Perfect. All right. Thirdly is pursue the growth of joy. One thing I just uh, briefly, and again, there's so much we could say about this passage. We're kind of going through it really fast. But we've, we've seen the, the need to remember the source. We see the need to see the threats. Now I would just urge you as we finish this morning is you can't be satisfied with where you're at if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. To say, well, you know, yeah, I had a conversion experience. I have a testimony like Paul, I can tell someone who I was before Christ, what Jesus did. Maybe for some of you, you've been baptized, you've made a commitment to your local church, you're involved. All those things are wonderful. But I would urge you that you still need to pursue growing in joy, pursue the means of growing in this satisfaction. I think often, I, I always think in terms of sports team, that I love sports, and you think about a team that, that wins the championship, it's all about what's going to happen the year after. Are they going to look back at the year before and go, you know, we won the championship. We're fine. We're good. You think about even recently, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady. One of the keys to Tom Brady, the, the fact that he's like a million years old and he keeps playing football, is that he doesn't look back at the last year. He wants that next Super Bowl. And I think about that here. Paul was not satisfied, satisfied saying, you know what? You know, when Christ appeared to me, he saved me. That, that was great. I love that. That's enough. No. Again, while Paul would always remember that, and as you see his testimony here, rejoice in that, he is continuing to pursue joy. In fact, notice the language, verse 7. He says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss. Do you notice how he goes from past? I counted loss to present. I still count them as loss. I'm still trying to make sure that those threats, I understand them to be rubbish, he says, and I want to focus on Christ and find joy in him. Well, how do you pursue joy in Christ? How do you pursue that growth? Let me just make three quick points here. Seek to know him more, number one. Seek to know him more. Paul uses the language here, he says, uh, and it's all throughout in, in verses 8 through uh, 11, you see that he says, I, 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 I want to gain Christ, I want to be found in him, uh, I want to know him. All that is language of an intimate relationship. All of that is growing in relationship with Jesus, not just facts, but relationship. And really, we could say that to know Jesus is to be like him. And so you might ask, well, how do I, how do I know Christ more? He's given us a means for that. 
the Word, prayer, relationships with other believers. All these are things, spiritual disciplines they're often referred to, all these are things to pursue so that you can know Christ more. When, when you have this time in chapel, it's not just going through the motions, check it off, go on to the next the school day. This is an opportunity because the Word of God is being taught for you students to say, I want to know Christ more. It's not about the speaker. It's, it's not about, uh, again, checking it off a to-do list. It's about we're looking to Christ. We're looking to the gospel. I'd also say one of the main, or one of the things that I mentioned earlier is one of the means is God's people. I would just remind you again the importance of being a part of a healthy local church. I pray that for you, that that is true for you. That is where you grow in joy. Number two, how do we pursue joy in Christ? Always depend on Him. Paul mentions here, uh, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Paul is saying the same power by which Jesus was raised from the dead is the power that works in His people that they grow. In other words, if you know Christ, you have all the resources you need to grow, no matter the circumstances, no matter the struggles. It doesn't mean it's easy, but you have all the resources you need to grow. It means to obey Him as well. He says, becoming like Him in His death. Paul is not saying, man, I can't wait to die here. I I just want to die. He's saying, I want to be like Jesus in that Jesus submitted to the Father. He died on the cross. I also want to deny myself and obey the Lord, that brings joy. And then lastly, anticipate Jesus. Anticipate Jesus. Paul says at the very end there, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now don't don't miss this here with that language. You might say, well, was Paul questioning whether he would rise from the dead after he died? No, Paul wasn't sure what was going to happen next. Again, he's in prison. He could be like, you know what? My head could be chopped off soon. I don't know. I'm not sure. But what he did know is that because Jesus rose from the dead, he will one day rise from the dead, no matter how he dies. And that was Paul's hope. It was a joy that was present because he anticipated Christ, his return, heaven, But it's a joy that looked to the future because that's an eternal joy. That satisfaction that's in Jesus now that we struggle with in this life, we will understand it fully when Jesus returns, when we are with him for all eternity. So we need to anticipate him. Well, again, just to bring that comes from valuing Christ above all else. And my prayer for you this morning is that you'd remember This inner peace, this spiritual satisfaction is possible, and it all goes back to Jesus. It all goes back to the gospel. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for these students, for their attentiveness. And Lord, I just pray for them, Lord, that they would pursue you, Christ. If any of them do not know you, Jesus, that they would come to saving faith this morning. That those who do know you, that they would see these threats, that they would turn back to the gospel, that they would actively pursue you, Jesus. And Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A couple of quick, I guess, for discussion questions. Um, you could ask, what are some of the things you look to for happiness? Uh, do these things provide lasting satisfaction? And then why does Jesus alone provide lasting joy?
Again, what are some of the things would you look to for happiness? Do these things provide that happiness? And then why does Jesus alone provide lasting joy? Thank you.